Welcome to the Lamaze Podcast. Kalos irtates to Lamaze Podcast. 欢迎来到 Lamaze 博客。E benvenuti al podcast di Lamaze. Lamaze Podcast par apno swagatche. Welcome to the Lamaze Podcast. Welcome everyone to the next episode of the Lamaze Podcast. I'm your host today, Leslie Pascuzzi, here in Australia, and today's guest is Beck from Melbourne. She's an OT, and this is conversation with her about her experience of being new mum and bringing up small person during a pandemic. So, um, we're really thrilled to be able to hear from Beck today and learn a bit about. What it is like to have this experience happen at a time where, obviously, our vulnerability to mental wellness is challenged by everything that's gone on in lockdowns and the strict procedures that have been happening around the world. So, welcome back. It's lovely to see you. Thank you, Lizzie. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to see you too. Beck is this is her first full pregnancy that she's carried to term, and she is mum to baby Emery, a little boy who's seven months at the moment. How's all that going? Yeah, it's uh, it's going well. It certainly comes with its its challenges, but mostly he's been a little dream of a baby.、Um, I guess the biggest thing for us is that he's been a great sleeper. <laughs> um, and that obviously, as many first-time parents can probably tell you, that's that's the key for for most of that enjoyment going forwards. I know a lot of mums who've also experienced the blessed sleeper have、mm. have had it an easier time into parenthood.、Um, so yeah, on the flip side, I know a number of families that have had a, a rougher start because of the sleep and then have、mm. looked to sleep school, which has been very positive for them though as. I know it makes such a difference to how we feel emotionally if we are getting a good sleep. So he's been kind to you in that respect. Yes, yeah. So from three months, he was sort of doing longer five-hour, six-hour stretches.、Mm. So yeah, we were very, very grateful to him for the sleeps. Oh God, love him.、Yeah. Tell us a wee bit back about your journey to pregnancy. How how did that come about for you? So that was an interesting one. I was actually I was previously married. I got married in 2016, and my partner and I split up in 2018. And then we separated for a year and a half. I had moved in with some friends into a house, and that my mum actually we rent from my mum. And just before the pandemic started, actually in March, my partner and I, my husband and I, rekindled, and he moved in shortly later, shortly after in July. But in that time, in about May, we'd actually fallen pregnant, and I was eight weeks when I miscarried. So that was kind of in the in the heat of the whole pandemic. We'd been two months by that stage in lockdown, no foreseeable, you know, way out. My family is quite dispersed across the country and across the globe. My brother lives in. Canada. My mum was in Port Douglas. My dad lives in Perth. My sister does live two doors down from me, which is wonderful. But、mm. um, she's also got her hands full with her two little boys and a third little one on the way. So, yeah, it was interesting going through that time of you know having the miscarriage. And I remember distinctly sitting on the couch when I. I started to bleed in the afternoon,、uh, and I remember it was a Friday afternoon, and my sister called me, and I often will go and collect my nephews from childcare to help her out. 
And she, I said to her, I, I can't go today. I'm just not feeling really well. And she's like, what's wrong? And asked me about it. And I said, you know, I've just got stomach pain and whatever. She's like, are you pregnant? And I said, actually, I think I'm having a miscarriage. And that was really hard for her to hear. I think that she has had two successful pregnancies, had not really experienced that kind of loss before, which is great for her. And she responded beautifully. You know, she brought over chicken soup and mm-hmm. said that she, you know, obviously would give me cuddles and, and all of that. So that was really lovely. But it was certainly a really tough thing to go through without your mum there, without you know, having that opportunity to have your friends look after you and all that sort of stuff. And I guess on the flip side as well, a lot of people don't talk about miscarriage. I know it was um, kind of International Miscarriage Day just the other day. And I think it's getting a lot of traction at the moment. A lot more people are starting to talk about it, referring to perhaps their baby, if they do have a successful birth as a rainbow baby, you know, just acknowledging the, the previous loss. And, and it is very common, especially as we kind of move into that aging population you know a lot of women are starting to have their families later and therefore it's going to to bring up the number of Mm. miscarriages the percentage of miscarriages for women of my age I'm 33 tomorrow actually oh (laughs) happy birthday for tomorrow (laughs) thank you I guess I should say I'm still 32 though (laughs) some would say we shouldn't count these years in the pandemic because we didn't use them (laughs) so let's go back to I'm I'm 31 yeah Um, yes (laughs) You're, you're owed so, some birthday parties that's what someone said to me I'm owe, I'm owe a birthday party well I can't even use them I realized during the pandemic you know I've, I've been pregnant for uh, longer than the nine months because of the the eight week previous pregnancy mm. but anyway going back to that yes we were eight weeks pregnant and we actually got back on the horse pretty quickly once we had the loss we were like yep this is what we want and tried again immediately after so we were very very lucky and I guess a lot of people do say that you're you're very fertile after having a miscarriage so we got we fell pregnant immediately and yeah before the next period even so I'd miscarried two weeks three weeks before and then feel pregnant the next cycle which was amazing um Mm. and just we were were just overjoyed really Mm. Um, and so that was really exciting going in hearing the heartbeat thankfully I I actually didn't hear the heartbeat or have my first eight-week appointment for the first one I think that would have been a lot a lot more challenging but you know even as you pass the baby the the embryo you obviously you feel that loss quite heavily Mm. either way whether you but I think it would have been compounded had I had Mm. my um first appointment so naturally at the first um, appointment with Imri I was apprehensive about getting excited same with even the 12-week one so you know you wait we had bloods done at 11 weeks and he did the scan and they run all of the all of the tests to see if you maybe have any genetic disorders Mm. and so that was all clear and I think at that moment we could get a little bit more excited and it's still, I think there's in the back of your mind, there's still that apprehension about being so excited. Mm. I remember thinking, I think about seven to 10 weeks I had, I was nauseous, just mm. nauseous. I didn't have like heavy morning sickness at all, but I remember thinking that's a good thing. I, I like that nausea because it reminded me that he was there and maybe he was safe. So that was actually quite a welcome. Never thought I would say, yes, bring on the nausea, but yeah, that was a welcomed <laughs> experience. And then I, I carried quite quite small and and quite simply really. Um, there were no complications. Uh, everything went really well. Um, we luckily put the 
car seat in and got the pram and stroller, bath, bassinet, everything organized the week before at 35 weeks. And luckily we did that because the Wednesday, I was actually finishing work that week. So we'd done it the Saturday, Sunday, put all the car seat in and everything. And then it was my last week of work. And I'm the type of person that I could have just gone, no, no, don't worry about it. He's going to stay there for a few more weeks. I'll just wait till I'm on maternity leave. So I only had one more week of work and I finished up and being an OT, you're very active, you know, you're jumping, you're rolling, all that sort of stuff, which um, I did most most things including actually on my last day one of my kids really wanted to jump on the trampoline so so we jumped on the trampoline um yeah maybe don't do that I didn't do it vigorously but you know yeah they they do say jump on a ball if you want to induce labor anyway jumping on a trampoline perhaps that helped so I was only 36 weeks when I actually gave birth and this was all the day before. So um, we'd gone out on a date. Um, we'd, you know, gotten a little excited after the date and I was awake at one o'clock in the morning and I was on the toilet. And then I thought, uh, okay, maybe I'm, maybe I've got really like from the Parmigiana we'd ate the night before, maybe I've got a, an upset tummy, went back to bed, got up again, went back on the toilet. And then I was like, um, I'm Googling as I'm sitting there, can you catch a UTI while pregnant? How do you treat a UTI while pregnant? And then I was also looking up Braxton Hicks. Sure. So I hadn't experienced Braxton Hicks throughout my whole pregnancy. So I was mm. like, okay, what, what's the story? Anyway, yeah. as I'm sitting on the toilet again, there comes the pain again. And it's very, like, it's very low, lower than I expected. I kind of expected that this upper abdominal kind of pain yeah. all across the belly. No, it was nice and low. And um. And then I got back into bed and I'm sort of doing these long breaths. And my partner turns around and he's like, are you okay? I was like, I, uh, did you, is your stomach all right after the dinner? And he's like, yeah, I'm feeling all right. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to go try and go back to sleep. And then it continued the long breaths. And he's like, are you sure? I'm like, do you think maybe you can run me a bath? So... (laughs) He ran me a bath in the mean, he clued in faster than I did, he ran me a bath and he downloaded a, a contraction timer app. So he's like, you know what? It just anytime we feel the pain, maybe just start, press the button and stop the button. You know, you, you do you. And he was hovering at this time. And I actually, I'm really glad we did our birthing classes because our birthing classes really empowered the woman to take charge of that moment of Good. when you are in pre-labor, she was like, you know, you might find that your partner doesn't know what to do. You need to maybe guide them. And so I would definitely recommend people doing those birthing yeah. classes. And so he was hovering in the bath and I'm sitting there going, I need to do, sorry, everyone. I need to do a big fart. <laughs> I need you to leave the room. Just go away, find something else to do. And this is, you know, 2.30 in the morning. Sure. And so I'm in the bath and I'm just... Yeah. And then I'm, I'm pushing the button and stopping the button and pushing the button and stopping the button. And he walks back in and he's like, oh, Imri's coming, Imri's coming. Cause we didn't, we you know, decided his name beforehand. Imri's coming. I'm like, no, I don't know. Just go away. I'll call the hospital soon. And I'd press the button enough times, like on the app that it popped up and it said, you should get in touch with your um, healthcare provider. Oh, you know, wow. Consider, consider packing your bags. So I called the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, I called yeah the delivery suite and they said 
and I told them what was going on. And at the time on the phone, I was going through uh, a contraction and I said, it's happening now. And she said, okay, well, mate, it sounds like you might have an irritated uterus. Take two Panadol. And this is at quarter to four in the morning. So 3.45. Mm. Uh, take two Panadol and, you know, try to sleep it off. If you find that you're still uncomfortable, call us back. Mm. So I stayed in the bath, <laughs> still trying to, to fart or, or poop. I don't know. <laughs> um, something was happening. Not, something was happening. Still not really cluing into the fact that it's actually the baby coming. It, was, it never really, the thought didn't cross my mind, I'm in labour. I'm only sure. 36 weeks. N- none of that really happened. It was all just, I just went with it. Mm. And so I called them back an hour later and I said, look, it's actually not going away. The pain's not going away. I think it's probably starting to get a little bit more intense as well. And they said, okay, come in. Don't, we'll, we'll check you when you come in, bring your bag just in case mm. and we'll see you soon. So on our way to the hospital, which was about half an hour away. Um, so in that time I called my mom who's in Sydney she didn't answer her phone because it was five o'clock in the morning at this time. Mm. And I call work and leave them a message and just be like, Hey guys, I'm going to, uh, I'm not, I'm on the way to the hospital. Not sure what's going on. Uh, probably canceled my morning clients. So I wasn't even thinking like the whole day or the yeah. next day. Like sure. I'm going in. So that starts to happen. And I get to hospital, walk in and I was four centimeters on entry uh-huh. and at first um, I did not enjoy the company of my first midwife so she was all thumbs and and fingers and couldn't get the belt on my belly and you know I'm in in the middle of labor and everything so I said to her I, I was like trying to be very polite and everything um, and she was very calm and she was lovely but it just wasn't my vibe but she wasn't my energy so I said that I was just okay focused on myself Anyway, so we progressed really nicely. We ended up having a, a changeover of midwives, which was awesome. And then this woman came in and she was like, right, how are you doing? And I was like, okay, already I felt this energy shift, which was awesome. And I felt very, very in control. And I progressed really nicely, went through all the pain modules, I guess, as you go up. Um, so started on like gas and air, walking around. Then it progressed. I was up on the bed, kneeling, rocking. I said, is this? The, the highest it goes and they're like no you're on the lowest so whoop, up the uh <laughs> up the gas and air went um which was great and um I actually experienced something which I'd heard about on a on another podcast which was the orgasmic contraction okay now, I'm not saying I actually got to orgasm mm-hmm. but I, I really felt that if in a, a rocking motion up on my knees mm. and that is obviously likening to yeah. um, you know a, that sexual position and I really found I guess it's also being high on the gas and air that I was like you're almost moving towards that climax you know you're concentrating so much mm. in that area and you're rocking and you're going mm. with it I felt like if you know, I could, yeah. I could have almost tipped over the edge. Yeah. And so that actually was really empowering as well, because that switched my mind from pain mm, to, to pleasure. pleasure. And, yeah. And yeah. that same feeling in a pleasurable way. And mm. so that really would, and I remember my husband said to me afterwards, like it was the most powerful thing when you turned to me and you were like, okay, I know how to do this. Mm. Um, and I said that to him, like, and he was watching, he's got a film of me doing this. And, wow. Um, and then it, it got even more progressively, um, it, it did get p- more painful. It did. I'm not going to lie. And that was when 
I moved down onto my side and I kind of lay in that fetal position on my side. I had a pillow between my legs and I distinctly remember my midwife, the lady who took me for the birthing classes saying, it's one part work, Mm -hmm. two parts rest. Mm -hmm. Make sure you rest in those two parts. And Mm -hmm. that was going through my mind Mm -hmm. over and over and over again, Mm -hmm. was make sure I rest in the, in the, in the rest phase. And that really got me through because that's when those working moments, you're like, okay, it's, it's going to end at some point. Mm. And then, and then my OB came and obviously hearing the sound of his voice, I was just instantly relaxed Mm -hmm. and then, um, yeah. And then progressed and he said, all right, I'll come back. I'm going to go do some paperwork and then I'll come back (laughs) and then we'll be ready to have a baby. So he Mm. walked in about 7am and then back again at about eight and Imri was born at 8.16. So Gosh, that was quick. Yes, from start to finish, it was about six and a quarter hours. Which which for a, yeah, for a, well, for any labor is is quick. But I mean, when when you you tell the story, I I feel like, I feel all, you know, that way you get when you feel, you know, like something really special happened. Like when you talk about the, the, obviously the hormonal experience you had with the oxytocin and the, you know, the, the pleasurable experience that was coming during contractions. That's something we educate a lot about, you know, that as the oxytocin rises for your contractions to become effective and efficient, you also have this surge in your endorphin release, which can take you into that pleasurable transcendent of kind of state where you actually feel like I could do this all day because I'm actually in the moment I'm in the zone and at that point labor has gone really well for you so that was amazing to hear you talk about that that was definitely how I experienced it as well I was very much in control and I think the fact I mean I know that for a number of women who say they were induced um you know that whole experience is on fast forward so for me I was very I was very grateful that it did kind of incrementally increase in intensity Mm. Uh, and I anticipated you know that time that I said I was in the fetal position that was when he was I believe he was really engaging at that moment and coming through the pelvis and that then was probably the most intense part of the labor the most the, the part that I was most afraid of was actually him passing out. But that that part didn't hurt. I wasn't mm-hmm. aware of that part. And you can feel, I got to feel him crown. And my OB said when his head was out, he's like, look down, don't miss yeah. the show. Yeah. You know? and, and then pulling him up onto my chest oh. is just the most amazing experience. So, yeah, I was very lucky. No epidural needed, no stitches, mm-hmm. no tears. So all in all, a, a beautiful pregnancy and a beautiful birth. I, yeah. I could do it again now. <laughs> Oh, your ovaries are pinging away, as are mine. I'll just, I'll just put that out there. I'm also like, gosh, isn't birth just wonderful? So doing that during the, the time of the pandemic that, that Melbourne was in, like back in March when Emery was born, what was the kind of conditions around like the hospital at that time? Like was, was there anxiety like your partner might have to, like was he masked up? Was he in like protective wear? Or what was going on at that time that, you know, maybe people could relate to right now yeah we didn't actually at that time we didn't have to wear you had to wear masks inside the hospital but because we'd come in through the delivery suite wearing a mask into the delivery suite and I'm trying to recall if they weren't wearing masks either okay so the the restrictions weren't as high as they've become I they they weren't as high I think we were stage two maybe stage two yeah. yeah during during the pregnancy 
we were obviously wearing masks inside and, and he wasn't allowed to attend all of my appointments, but in saying that he wasn't able to either. Mm. Um, but my OB was also quite liberal in the way that he allowed, if you wanted him to, if I wanted my partner to come in, he was welcome to, you know, they, right. they weren't excluding. So that was a good right. thing for me. Should he have wanted to? In the hospital, you could only, once we had given birth, you could only have two people in per day. So that was really quite challenging for us. In some ways, it was actually wonderful because you didn't have that pressure, you didn't have that stress mm. to invite people in. Mm -hmm. But of course, what you know, you kind of you want what you can't have. You kind of you wanted other people to come in and share this bliss with you. And I was feeling very good given that I didn't have any um, intervention. Mm. So, um, you know, I was welcoming of people to come in, but my, um, obviously my family needed to fly in first mm -hmm. and my partner's from overseas. So his whole family's overseas as well. So that was really hard. Uh, you know, had the skies been open, they would have been over mm. earlier, you know, before the birth and they would have mm. been there for the birth and they would have been there for, for um, the fourth trimester for sure, you know, trying mm. to help out as much as they could. So that, mm. that also was really impacted, especially for my partner because he's got such a close family. So that was really, really difficult mm. for him. I've got a video of him, you know, FaceTiming his parents for the first time and it's, it's heartbreaking. Mm. It really is, you know, mm. it brings a tear to my eye now thinking about it, that they weren't, they, they weren't able to be a part of our very very special thing and he's the only son of of his family so mm. you know it was yeah really important for him that they were there unfortunately they couldn't be and still haven't mm. been but we we do have flights booked in april so fingers crossed we can get across but you know he'll be a, a year old by then mm. 13 months old by the time we get across so mm. they will have missed some of those early mm. moments um which is a really big shame but yeah in saying that i guess lots of families are right now because the pandemic in Melbourne at least the pandemic's still going I mean when you yeah. when you recall that early you know days or hours even after after Emery was born it sounds to me like there was that real natural high of love and excitement and you had this moment your son was on your chest and then you know can you put into words the challenge that then not being able to share that moment with your loved ones had on you both. I mean, I know you, you got a little teary there remembering your husband calling his family, but you know, you talked about your mum earlier in the conversation, you know, you'd want your mum there. I mean, how much of an extreme of emotion was it? It sounds like it went from high to not so high. Is that how it, it felt? High, absolutely. It was high, low, high again, again, because you're, you're this new family, the three of you together. So it really did help you focus on just the three of you. And so that was actually really wonderful. And I know that a lot of new parents have expressed that that part of the pandemic was actually very helpful, that mm. they really could just be mm. um, without having everybody come in because it can be exhausting having people come over. And obviously you're in, like I had the disposable undies on with your maternity pad and you're, you know, bleeding and you're cramping and you're this and you're that and you're trying to learn how to breastfeed. So in some ways it did have a silver lining. Um, it's probably a thick silver lining, if I'm really honest, <laughs> of not having people. Because also the midwives, they've got to do their job and they've got to come in. And if you do have stitches, if you do yeah. have a C-section, they've got to yeah. check you out. And if yeah. you've got people there, it can be a little disruptive and, yeah. you know, I think there, there were some benefits 
the hardest part definitely was not having the family available mm-hmm. to you um, when you needed them. And, and we actually needed to kind of circumvent the security system by having friends who were doctors say that they, you know, were either working at the hospital or coming for mm. other visits and, you know, come mm. and, and see us. So mm. that was okay. That first, we didn't actually stay very long in the hospital either. We were in a private hospital um, and the food was excellent, but the bed was not so great for my partner. So okay. we, um, we, we hightailed it pretty quickly. Um, we left on the Saturday. He was born on a Thursday morning. So stayed two nights. Um, thankfully he was early. So he was 36 weeks, but he was, um, just shy of three kg and there were no no um, mm. difficulties for you know eating or feeding mm. um, eating or um, pooping or you mm. know anything everything was all working normally mm. um, he was so ready allowed us to, he was ready the trampoline and the sex probably helped um, <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah so so he was ready to go and we were all ready to go so we mm. left home, left the hospital mm. and I suppose we had more freedom at home yeah of course so that, of course that was when um that was when we were also able to have people come around you mm. know under the caregiving rule mm-hmm. um and people brought us food and people brought us you know clothes and and baby mm. stuff and you know mm. things to look after us yeah um and so that was really special mm. you know we we got more out of being at home than we did at the hospital um mm. and so we moved yeah back home and that was certainly something different as well um you know introducing the cat and the dog to the new baby um that was different and then finally having you know this little bassinet in your room and actually having something in there <laughs> uh, so, so that was weird as well and getting used to you know you, you're a new family you're getting used to all of these new routines how do we how are we going to do it and it's you read all these books um and then you get there and you're like, you know what? I am going to co-sleep. And the first two nights I had Emery sleep on my chest. Now mm. I know that I'm a very responsible sleeper. I don't roll. I'm a log. Mm. Um, and I, I had him sleeping on my chest for the first two nights, which is something I never thought I would do. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe don't tell the midwives, but um, <laughs> you know, it, for us, it was just, it was such an amazing experience mm. to be able to have that skin to skin contact and mm. I do think that helped his transition um mm-hmm. as well back mm. into you know earth side I guess of course of course is that skin to skin um and it helped us as well just really form as a family mm. my husband got right in and involved in the skin to skin um so the first few days were just magical mm. and then a little bomb came when we had our first maternal child health nurse appointment 10 days later and he hadn't put on any weight and that, and I was breastfeeding and trying mm. to breastfeed and obviously, and I would, I would get nervous about them. I would dread the nights um, because I found that was when I was most alone. My partner would be sleeping, of course. And what's mm. the point in having two sleep deprived parents? Um, mm-hmm. He was also, he was not very, he was cranky when he sleep deprived. So I was like, I'll take, I'll take full responsibility. You go to sleep. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I got the sore nipples and, um, obviously not enough milk and the maternal child health nurse came and said you know breastfeeding for the little man is like going to the gym and then he's not really getting much out of the nipple out of the, from the milk um, so he's just losing weight or not putting on at all um, and she said you know you need to think about a different course of action so um, 
my sister was amazing at this time. Um, she stepped right up. I gave her a call. I was crying. Mm. And she said, and she brought over her pump um, <laughs> and showed me. I'll never forget that first time she put the pump on my nipple. I was like, whoa. Uh, <laughs> what it, is really, this? <laughs> it really sucks. And you're just like, shysa. Um <laughs> Because you know what, I've had I've had these things for 32, 30, 30, at the time, 32 years. Oh, I guess I hadn't had boobs for that long, but 15, you know, 17 years and they'd never done what they're doing now <laughs> where they're making milk. And so, you know, it was amazing um, to see the transformation in my boobs for sure. But um, she came over, she really looked after me. She showed me how to use the pump. She said, you know, stay on the pump for, I don't know, the recommendation was like 20 minutes of boob which is a really, really long time. Yes. <laughs> and so that was probably my um, my downfall as well. We ended up, he's now pretty much exclusively bottle fed rather than mm. breastfed. And that was something else that I needed to kind of, to work through um, was understand, you know, um, recognising what did I want, which was mm. a breastfed experience. Um, but really what was best for him was to try to do a bottle breast mix feed which we did for a little while um and then it just kind of got that obviously it tipped, I think we tipped the scale a bit too much where I didn't put him on the boob long enough or I didn't um have mm. I wasn't pumping long enough to generate um that milk production that he actually required so okay he uh, we tipped the scale a little bit too much in the bottle fed favor um my partner's also a chef so he's little yeah you know his his thrill in life is feeding people and and that does not exclude his son so the little um the little small little baby that he was at 10 at 10 days old which was at 2.7 kilos all of a sudden became this massive chunky monkey um and dad got you know really excited because he could actually get involved Uh, I think that was awesome something that was really beautiful for him mm-hmm. um, is that being the fact that we did have the bottle feed mm. um, it allowed him to, mm. to feel like he was actually contributing somehow mm. um, and that's probably that's something that my sister recommended to me as well she said you know just to get the baby um, used to the bottle so that you're able to have a bit more freedom mm-hmm. uh, she, her babies were exclusively breastfed but she still had her partner feed once a night from mm. a bottle um, just so the baby was used to it and I, mm. I would definitely recommend and that as well just yeah. so there's that freedom for other mums yeah. as well out there it gets um, everyone yeah. uh, it gives everyone a chance to have that connection which I know um a lot of dads uh, a lot of dads do enjoy um at this point so you've you've had the um the 10 day checkup and and you've been informed the baby's maybe not putting on weight you know that time you're still very much just yourselves you don't have any kind of apart from your sister or friends you've not seen your mom you've not seen any close family at that point you know did, did that did you feel the stress of of that you know inability to have them there because obviously one of the big components in the breastfeeding experience is your hormones so I'm just thinking about this from the perspective of you as a as a woman and as a daughter of your family you know did you feel stressed at that time? Like, would it have made a difference in hindsight, do you think, if the pandemic had allowed you to be with your village? Do you think that might have made a different experience for you, looking back? Absolutely. I mean, my dad was able to come across very briefly for a couple of days from Perth, um, but because of the ever-changing situation, he went back quite quickly. Mm. Um, 
Uh, not that my dad could really help me with some of that stuff anyway, <laughs> you know. It's still nice that he came. And my mum came down as well for a very short pe- period of time at the time of the birth, but as okay. well went went back. Um, but uh, still, had I had that opportunity in those first few months to have more people, to have everybody free-flowing, I think um, it... it I do believe that it takes a village to raise a child and it would have been amazing to have everybody mm. come in without having to be under the guise of, you know, caregiving or we didn't have to limit it or we could, you know, celebrate him and, and all of that. I think that would have been really, really great. Yeah. Um, we had a small celebration while it was still light on the, um, on the lockdown. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really nice, but actually, and we celebrated that a week after he was born, but that actually was overwhelming for me. Mm. So I actually um, spent it upstairs with him and a few very close girlfriends Mm. and that was it Mm -hmm. Um, because being around so many people after being in the pandemic, I think Mm. a lot of people are experiencing this regardless of pregnancy, of course, Mm. is that, you know, being able to now be around so many other people, there's Mm. almost that social anxiety. What do we talk about that's not Mm. food and and what we're watching, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and so... Um, and I think, yeah, coming out of the pandemic with a baby, it was just a little bit surprising um, that I felt that way, actually, because mm. I'm generally quite a, um, uh, an extrovert and I love having people around me, but at that time it was actually too much. So I don't mm. know if that was just the experience of the birth and, you know, that whole thing and I wanted it to be Imri to be calm and and quiet because it's also obviously a lot there was a lot of lights there were a lot of people there was a lot of noise so Mm. he would have probably been you know overstimulated sensory wise but um yeah would I I don't know if I was stressed um I think actually in some ways having that celebration made me even a bit more stressed Mm -hmm. um so having just that quiet time the three of us that was very relaxing Mm -hmm. um it was fortunate for me that my partner was able to take five weeks off work Mm -hmm. um at that time too and again because we had the bottle feeding he was very involved Mm -hmm. um because you know in those first few weeks the baby's just eating and sleeping really Mm. there's there's not much play there's just cuddles um so he was he was very grateful to have that opportunity for for feeding Mm. um but I I don't know that I was super stressed at that time um but yeah I I think it it probably would have changed how I felt but I don't know that I look back on it as a negative at the moment Yeah, that, I mean, that's, it's, it's something that, you know, crossed my mind as you were talking, because we know that the pandemic and the experience that many of our birthing families across the globe have had, it's actually, you know, some of the, the statistics that are coming out of research are telling us that, you know, breastfeeding rates have gone up because no one has to um, leave home. So everyone can just sit with their baby skin to skin partners are working from home so people have this continuous support which we know has got many benefits to us in pregnancy labor birth and in breastfeeding and you know there's also been you know reductions in you know things like um premature births because women are in a situation during pregnancy where maybe they're working from home and the stress of the demands of life have changed and and the outcomes are changing in favor of more positive outcomes that that we can see but I suppose I was um you know because as a, a 
person not born in Australia, you know, I can relate to the sense of being separated from the people that would be your choice to have around you. So, you know, I always think with these episodes, it's lovely to, you know, start to move us to think about, well, what challenges have you faced? What advice or what experience do you think you could share with other families that you would maybe have liked to have known yourself before Emery came along? The one thing that I kept reciting to myself was fit during, a fit before, fit during and fit after. Mm-hmm. And that I think is really important for both the physical and the mental health mm-hmm. aspect. So for me, um, physic- being physically active is really important for me. So I mm-hmm. do Pilates and I was doing Pilates before I did Pilates during mm-hmm. um, and I continued to do Pilates afterwards mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously adjusting it as of course. my, my <laughs> requirements. Um, but that I know that keeping physically fit mm-hmm. helped me stay mentally well. Good. Um, there's a lot, obviously, that comes with being a first-time parent, that you're, you're worried that you're not doing the right thing, that you're not doing this enough and you're not doing that enough and, you know, you need to be giving them all these opportunities for tummy time and, and for sleep and, and, you know, if they're not sleeping well or if they're asking, well, what could you be doing differently and, and all these sorts of things. Um, so I think looking after yourself is uh, really, really important. And I would almost say number one to looking after then your baby, mm-hmm. because if, if the mother goose is not well, the baby, the chickling is, they're not going to be well either. So mm-hmm. for me, I think it's most important to, to know yourself, however you find um, that, you, that you can maintain a, a healthy being and a healthy mind, mm-hmm. I think um, is really, really important to focus on again mm-hmm. for during and after mm-hmm. um so yeah for me it was um in the form of exercise um and also connecting with other mums um i was reminiscing with another mum recently and um, she had a baby just a, a few days before i did and um connecting on uh on whatsapp uh with other mums at two three four o'clock in the morning and I swear there's a whole army of mums out there that are messaging at that time and talking to each other and being each other's support of you know Mm. oh my baby's doing this my baby's doing that and you know I'm experiencing this with breastfeeding and that with my partner and blah 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 and there are lots of challenges mm-hmm. um and looking to other mums I think um as support and also recognizing when they're not maybe the right people for you to be around um I know that I myself there was um, a mums group that I uh joined and there was um, a vibe in there that I didn't enjoy um there was one mum in particular that for me just um brought out too much anxiety and she was constantly asking questions and it's it's great that she is and don't get me wrong it's just more um it was maybe the way that she asked the questions or how frequently she asked the questions um it was all a bit too much and so I was like this is giving me anxiety and this is not what I want to be about um so I just you know quietly removed myself from that and just found other mums that were a little bit more like-minded um we would go out for walks um that really was the only thing we could do because we were limited to five kilometers so we would yeah frequently go out for walks um and then that also comes with its own challenges about timings and 
you know, if the baby's asleep, the baby's awake, if the baby's going to sleep in their pram, or if you actually need to be home to have them sleep in their cots, you know, all sorts of things, depending on what, what your aim is and, and how you're going about it. I was pretty laissez-faire. So, you know, if he was awake and then he was going to go to sleep, fine, he'll sleep in the pram. And we just walked and walked and talked mm -hmm. and having that connection mm -hmm. with other mums in particular. But I, I didn't drop any of my friends either, mm -hmm. you know, the um, one is silver and one's gold. So, you know, I made sure that I maintained a lot of my old friendships as well. Um, even if they don't have kids, um, you know, I know that a lot of mums find that maybe they start to separate themselves from their friends who don't have children. Um, but, you know, I, I look at my friends who don't have kids and, and they're wonderful. They are just as helpful and just as um, supportive as those yeah. other mums. So um, I think connecting with your friends, um, new or old, is, is mm. really important for mm. maintaining a good mental health as well. Mm. And if you can combine it with that physical aspect, mm. I know a lot of mums as well obviously stop to, they, they stop focusing on themselves and obviously they start to focus more on their kids mm. or more on their house or more on their partner. Um, but, again, it comes back to that if, if the roots of mm. the tree are healthy, the rest of the tree is going to grow you know, beautifully. So I think Beautiful. it's really important. Yeah, yeah, it's really important to focus on ourselves. I mean, in my work, I always, I've got, you know, children on the spectrum, I work with kids on the spectrum and the parents are obviously, what more can I do? What more can I do? And I'm like, look after you. Mm -hmm. It is really important if you don't look after yourself, the mm -hmm. whole thing, the whole family is going to fall apart. And that's mm -hmm. not to put pressure on the mum by any means. It's more to allow the mum uh, space or the dad mm -hmm. in that, for that mm -hmm. reason, uh, for that um point that you know it, it if, if you give them that space um and that's where partners are really important with the babe as well it's just to to give them the mum the space to to focus on her and make sure that she can do you know if it's drawing or coloring or painting or, or exercise or chatting to her mum for two hours at a time like you know give them that space to do that I think mm. that's really important yeah you're, it's, it's such a beautiful image to, you know, a lot, lots of people, you know, relate the placenta to this idea of, of the tree of life and the fact that you've, you know, used that same analogy, you know, to encourage us women to look after ourselves. I just think it's a lovely, uh, a lovely way to bring us, you know, to the end of our conversation and, you know, to really just appreciate the power of women and, you know, despite the challenges of the pandemic, you know, you seem to be someone who's found a formula that works for you to keep yourself as well as you can despite the fact that you still have these you know dreams to reunite with the family overseas and and what a beautiful moment that will be I'm sure to to bring Emery home to the family yeah Kleenex stocks are gonna go up 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 we're gonna need so many tissues <laughs> Oh, yeah. Beck, it's been really so lovely. I mean, you've you've given us a beautiful account of your experiences. And, you know, I, I think many women and their partners will listen to this and and feel elated, feel hopeful and, and feel the the positivity that you've experienced. But um any last words before we, we say cheerio for today? No, I think um I think most importantly to all the mums out there is to uh, make sure that they look after themselves because sometimes we, we need to look after ourselves. Other people aren't going, if we don't look after ourselves, other people won't look after 
we can't put that responsibility on other people. Mm. You know, we need to take a hold of that and embrace that in a, in a positive way mm. and just look after ourselves. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you, Leslie. It was lovely chatting. <laughs> <laughs>